December is the month of waiting, especially for the young kids in our midst. There's two Christmases in particular that I remember that I couldn't wait for. One of them, we were, I was getting a PlayStation 2, and I could not wait to get the PlayStation 2. Even though it wasn't guaranteed, it was, I was pretty sure it was coming. And then the other one was uh, an Xbox 360. And I could not wait for that Christmas morning so we could open the Xbox 360 and uh, start playing Halo 3 and other games that I couldn't wait to play in high school. But December is a time of waiting because we wait for Christmas. And what's interesting in our society is people get so excited that now they can't wait and they start getting ready sooner and sooner. And I think that uh, Facebook's only made this worse because one of your Facebook friends, if you're on Facebook, the people that you interact with, will post pictures of them decorating their house uh, in early November, because this happened this year, and, and then all of a sudden more and more people get the Christmas fever. And then before you know it, everyone's got their house decorated and it's not even Thanksgiving. And even at our house, we had a little bit of that. But no tree until after Thanksgiving. December's a time of waiting in anticipation. And what's interesting is we get all of our Christmas anticipation built up and then we just let it all out on one day. Christmas. But what's interesting is that I think we forget in the church calendar the very structure that gave us Christmas, there's actually 12 days. So we have 12 days to celebrate. So maybe we don't have to actually decorate until Christmas Eve. Now that wouldn't happen, I know that. (laughs) Right, it's okay. But we have 12 days of celebration, not just one. But before that, we don't have Christmas, we actually have Advent. And Advent isn't Christmas Advent is Advent. Advent is the beginning of the Christian calendar. And I've said this a couple different places in the last month or two. The Christian calendar tells the story of Jesus. It tells us who we are. And it starts with Advent. Advent starts the story over. So we're starting the story over today. The story begins and we retell it every year. Because it's our identity, it tells us who we are, it grounds us in the world, it helps us make sense of everything else. In Advent, just like in our culture, we wait for Christmas. Now no matter what you say to a young kid, usually, because this is how I was, even though it's yes, we're waiting for Jesus to be born, what you can't wait for as a kid is to to wake up and open the presents. But hopefully, if we can just instill in our kids and even in ourselves a little bit of anticipation for what Christmas is also about celebrating, which is the reason we get the gifts, because we celebrate Jesus' birth. So Advent is about waiting, just like we're waiting for Christmas, for the presents and for the family. We're also waiting for Jesus' birth. Now the question I want us to ask today is, during Advent, how should we wait? How should we wait? And I think we should wait in this way. I think we should trust Jesus, watch for Jesus, and follow 
Jesus. Trust Jesus, watch for Jesus, and follow Jesus. Now in our Old Testament passage that Alan just read for us, out of Jeremiah, this is also a passage about waiting. So if you want to look at that with me quickly, you can open up to it. But before we look at it, there's a couple of things we need to know about this book. So things had gotten pretty bad in Israel during the time of Jeremiah. The nation had already split. So it used to be one nation Israel. But then the northern ten tribes broke off from the southern two. And you had Israel and Judah. These two separate nations, because they couldn't get along, they had different kings. No one wanted to follow the kings that were David's sons after Solomon. And then the northern kingdom had already been overthrown by the Syrian Empire. But the southern kingdom had made a treaty and they had agreed to keep their king, but they had to be loyal to the Assyrians. So they were no longer independent, but they at least had their king in their land, in their temple, in their laws. As long as they were obedient to the Assyrian Empire. But they were always one conquest away from being overthrown. So the days of prominence and influence had fallen aside. And the people of Israel were waiting for those promises that God gave. And those promises are represented in this passage that Alan read for us. Jeremiah chapter 33 or 34, I'm not sure which one. I have 33, he said 34, but the passage is the same. Verse 14, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. Because at this point, remember, there are two nations. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And the name, this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. So for us to understand the Jesus story, the story we're a part of, the story that starts over today, we need to understand that the Israelite people were waiting. They were waiting for this promise. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the Son of God, the Son of Man. They were waiting for this sprout that will branch off the roots of David's line. So this is the Old Testament imagery that a lot of prophets use. It's this botanical imagery of a plant. So there's this tree that is the dynasty of David. So all that is to say, David had a kingdom... His kingdom got passed down from generation to generation, and it's his dynasty. It's this tree, but the tree is all but dead. Now there is, in the time of Jeremiah, there's a a king that's David's descendant named Zedekiah on the throne. But when Zedekiah is taken off the throne by the Babylonian Empire and exiled to Babylon, and then the Babylonians put their own ruler on the throne to rule Israel. That tree is cut down. There's no longer a descendant of David ruling in Jerusalem like God had promised. So this is where the Israel people are at. 
They're like, God has promised us these things, but they're not happening. But the prophets remind the Israelite people, God will be faithful to his promise. There will be a sprout that shoots off from those roots of David's line. So I don't know if you've ever done landscaping where you've torn out shrubs, but when I used to work for my uncle Mark Donaghy, there would be times where we would get hired to go to someone's house and rip out old landscaping, and usually what it was was really, really overgrown shrubs that were taken over the front of the house. And if you've ever tried to rip those kinds of shrubs out, they have huge roots, and you have to try your best to get them out. Because if you don't, does anyone know what happens? Grows back, right? Exactly. Whoever, I think Steve said that. And my mom and dad actually have one of these plants right now. They cut some shrubs down by their uh, garage, but every year you see that plant shooting back up a little bit, and they have to cut it down again. This is the image. David, the tree of David has been cut off. But there's going to be a sprout that's coming. Now before us forward to Jesus. What Jesus says to the people in Israel is, I am the one you're waiting for. I'm that Messiah. I'm that king. I'm that sprout from the sh- that's going to shoot off from the roots of David's line and take my place as king. Now this is what we talked about last week. This is the story of Jesus. That Jesus is king. Now Jesus comes with his disciples and he says, I am these things. Now the question they need to ask is, well, how can we know that's true? Well, especially when Jesus dies. But we know that he resurrected from the dead. But that gets ahead in the story. There's something else that Jesus tells his disciples that will indicate to them that he actually is the Messiah, the one who's rightfully to sit on the throne of David. He says, you will know that I am king when you see that the temple is destroyed. Now this is where our passage comes in from Luke 21 today. And this is our gospel reading. So if you want to open up to Luke 21, we're going to take a look at it. And in the Pew Bible, that is... Page 915. So remember, the temple was the place where God dwelled in the land. So the temple was really important for Israel because it represented that God was with them. Now, if the temple was destroyed, how could God be with his people? How could the promises come true if he couldn't even be with his people? But what Jesus wants to indicate to his followers is, You will know that I am the Son of Man. You will know that I am the Messiah. That I am the king, the rightful king on the line of David when you see the temple destroyed. Because what's that going to do is indicate to you that something is different about how God is relating to his people. Now this is what Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 25. He said, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity. Over the roaring and tossing of the sea, people will faint from terror, apprehension of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand, on, stand up and lift up your hands, 
because your redemption is drawing near. So this is one of those passages that we read and we don't know what to think. So what we don't see is that what's going on is that Jesus is with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Now if you were to go to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is up on a hill that overlooks the city of Jerusalem. Now we think that Jesus was in Jerusalem for the month or so before his death. So this is that setting. He's in Jerusalem every day. He would teach in the temple. And then he would walk out the gates right next to the temple, out of the city. He would go down the valley with his disciples and they'd walk up the hill of the Mount of Olives that overlooked the temple. So this is a setting of the story. Now we think that what happened was Jesus and his disciples were going up that hill. They could see the temple and someone said, look how great and majestic that temple is. And what Jesus says to them next is he says that that temple will be destroyed. And now what happens is they're up on the Mount of Olives and they're probably sitting down before they go to bed. Maybe they're eating dinner. And someone says, Jesus, tell us more about what you mean about the temple being destroyed. And then what Jesus does is he tells them what's going to happen. And he says, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And this is how you know that the time's coming. Now, these are astrological signs, but this isn't like astrology. So what, isn't, what Jesus isn't saying is that the, what happens in the stars influences what happens on earth. All Jesus is saying is before the temple is destroyed, you're going to see more signs in the sky. You're going to see more comets and falling stars and weird alignments of the planets. And God's going to use these as signs to communicate to his people. And he also says there's going to be anguish and perplexity. And in verse 26, that people will faint from terror of what's coming. All this is to say is that when the temple is destroyed, it's going to make life difficult for the people in Jerusalem. Because what actually happened was there was a bunch of Jewish people who rebelled against Rome. So Roman soldiers came and surrounded Jerusalem. And then the city was abandoned. And then the Roman soldiers came in and they destroyed the temple. And then they went and chased these Jewish revolutionaries. And eventually they overthrew and destroyed and killed all the people rebelling against Jerusalem, rebelling against them in Jerusalem. So even if you weren't someone who was rebelling, your life wasn't very good for a while. And there'd be these signs that life wasn't very good before it was actually destroyed. Because there had been times before where there had been rebellions in Jerusalem, but the temple had never been destroyed. But this time, Rome said they'd had enough. So what Jesus is saying in this passage is that when these things happen and the temple is destroyed, then you will know the Son of Man has come in power and glory. So what all this boils down to is what Jesus is saying, when the temple is destroyed, you're going to know that I'm king. Now, this is going to be a sign I'm telling you about now. And when it happens, you'll know that what I told you is true. That I actually am the Son of Man. That I actually am the one who's sprouting off from the roots of David to take his place as king. This is the story of Jesus that we talked about last week. That Jesus is king.
Now we look at this, and it's easy to wonder, well, if Jesus is king, and this actually came to pass, how come it doesn't seem like he's king? Now, this is the big question. If Jesus is king, why doesn't it seem like he's king? Now, if we were to read in the Old Testament all the promises about what it would be like once Jesus was king, once the royal figure returned to Jerusalem, how come none of those things have come to pass? How come there's still pain? How come there's still people who die? How come there's still disease and depression and anger and broken relationships? Where's the blessings of God? It's because Jesus not only came, but he left. And this is what the disciples learned when he left. In Acts 1, 10 and 11, they said there, they were looking in, intently up in the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So this is the story of Jesus, that he is king and that he left earth to take his place on the throne. And we know he took the throne because he said the temple would be destroyed and it was. But we're waiting for him to return in the way that he left. Jesus fulfills the promises of the coming Messiah. But what we realized is that his first coming is just a taste of what's to come. Now this is the image I think that helps us understand that. And I've talked about this before. Jesus' first coming was like when we get to eat the batter the cookie batter, the cookie dough off the beaters while we wait for the cookies to finish baking in the oven. Now the cookie dough is good, and maybe you like the cookie dough better, but you can't deny that a freshly baked cookie that's warm and moist that melts in your mouth isn't one of the best things to eat on earth. Even though you think the cookie dough is so good, the warm, fresh cookies even better. Jesus' first coming was like that cookie dough. But we're waiting for the cookie to finish baking. So this is the story of Jesus. We're waiting for him to return. And now this is where we find ourselves. Just like all of the people of God before us, we're still waiting for those promises to be fulfilled. We're still waiting for God to fulfill the promises. But the good news is that God is faithful in those promises. So while life might seem rotten right now, and I know some of you are in circumstances that aren't that great, and it's not fun to live in those circumstances. The hope in those places is that we're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, and we know that God will be faithful. We know that Jesus will return. This is why we trust Jesus, watch for Jesus, and follow Jesus. So we're trusting God that Jesus will return. But what does it look like to trust God? Well, this is what Jesus told his disciples in verse 29 about waiting for the temple to be destroyed. He said, 
He told them this parable, look at this fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you see for yourself and know that the summer is near. Even so, you will see these things happening and you will know the kingdom of God is near. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will, not, will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So Jesus says, how do you know when the temple is going to be destroyed? Well, just like the trees start to get leaves before the spring and then summer, these signs will show you that the temple will be destroyed. And he says something else. He says, it'll happen in this generation. Now this is important for the disciples of Jesus. The question wasn't, will this happen, but when? He says it will happen, so you need to be watching and waiting. Waiting for this to happen. And this is what he says about waiting. He says in verse 34, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and anxieties of life. And that the day will come to a close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So for Jesus and his disciples, he didn't see it as an excuse. There's no excuse for them missing the signs that he was com- the temple was going to be destroyed. He said, you know when it's going to happen because I've told you what's going to happen, so be watching and be ready. Now this is where we come in. Because the temple's been destroyed, so we know Jesus is king, but he says he's going to return, and we don't know when. Now we don't have the luxury of the signs. Because since the destruction of the temple, since Jesus left, we've been in the final days. There's no signs for us. But just like his disciples, we know he's coming. So we need to watch for him to return. There's no excuse for us not to watch. We need to trust Jesus, watch for Jesus, and follow Jesus. But while we're waiting and trusting Jesus and watching for Jesus, the question still remains, well, how is it that we watch? What does it look like to actually watch in our day-to-day lives? How do you go to work on, to, on Monday? How do you go to work tomorrow and watch for Jesus? How do you get up and have your kids get ready for school How you get up and do whatever it is you do every day and watch for Jesus? The answer is in verse 34. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. And the day will close on you suddenly like a trap. How is it that our hearts get weighed down when we're not living intentionally? So this is what I challenge you during Advent this year. I want you to trust Jesus, watch for Jesus, and follow Jesus. And the only way that we can follow Jesus is by being intentional. When you drive a car, can you drive a car without being intentional? Maybe if you have one of those fancy Tesla cars that drives itself. But you're not supposed to even not watch with that. And even if you're on a straight road, you might have to get off. 
You have to make sure that the road, the car stays on the road. Maybe your alignment's out and you're going to go off if you don't hold the wheel. We can't drive unintentionally. We can't follow Jesus unintentionally. So during Advent this season, I challenge you to follow Jesus by living intentionally. And when we live intentionally, what we learn back in 1 Thessalonians becomes true in chapter 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus Christ comes with his holy ones. May we be blameless and holy when Jesus comes by following Jesus, living intentionally so that love will increase and overflow from us to those around us. And when we follow Jesus, our love increases and overflows. And we live a blameless and holy lifestyle, worthy of Jesus while we wait for his to return. Now, none of us are perfect, but the point isn't being perfect. The point is being intentional. The goal is to watch for Jesus by following him and living intentionally. So this is what Advent's about. Waiting for Jesus to return. Remember the story of Jesus. He is the branch of David. That one, the, the king that comes out of the roots. No matter how hard you try to get rid of those roots, they're still there. And the king's going to come, and he's come. And that's who Jesus is. He's the royal king. But his coming, remember, is a double coming. His birth was only a taste of the cookie batter while we wait for the cookies to get out of the oven. And the Advent's the time when we recognize that we need to wait. And while we wait, we trust Jesus, we watch for Jesus, and we follow Jesus. We trust that God will keep his promises and Jesus will return. We watch for Jesus by living intentionally. And we live intentionally by following Jesus to become more like him. So this is my challenge to all of you during Advent. We've got four weeks of it. Trust Jesus, watch for Jesus, and follow Jesus. And I think the easiest way to live intentionally during Advent, as I talked about in my um, newsletter article, is to do something different to add intentionality to your life. Whether it be intentionally waking up in the morning to read from your Bible and to pray. Whether it's having an Advent wreath in your home and lighting it with your family every night after dinner. Or anything in between. We trust Jesus, we watch for Jesus, and we follow Jesus. So that's how I hope we can start Advent. That we can trust Jesus, watch for Jesus, and follow Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we start this story over. May you help us to enter into the story that is our story. May we recognize who Jesus is. May we recognize him as the shoot 
that sprouts off of the roots of David as king. May we see him as king. May we see him as the king of the world. And may we remember that we're waiting for his return. So during this Advent season, may we learn to trust your faithfulness. May we get better at watching for Jesus and living intentionally by following him. And may we be brought closer to you. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.